You're joining us for episode 67 of the Rocky Talkie Podcast. I am your host, Rocky Riccatoni. I can tell right off the bat that I'm sitting with an, an absolute professional right now, cool as a cucumber. I'm joined uh, tonight with uh, a very talented individual, uh, a mezzo-soprano, to be exact, by the name of Camila Montefusco. Camila, welcome to the show. Thank you. You literally just walked in four minutes ago, and we just pressed record. We're that's, doing. That's how we do it. We're doing it. We're professionals. You're no. You're no uh, stranger, obviously, to like parachuting into a situation and starting to perform. So this is <laughs> what you do. Um, first things first. Thank you for taking a chance on a complete stranger. This all began a little over a year ago when I interviewed a, a very talented artist. Um, with an alias, uh, no, otherwise known as Mallard Duck. Mallard the Duck. No, from the top of Mallard the Duck. Lewis Mallard. He came on the show and he blew my mind. And uh, then he was telling me about his wife, who is an opera singer. And I was like, what? It just didn't seem to make sense to me. I just, you know. <laughs> uh, and then I kept percolating on that and thinking about it. And, and just recently I, I reached out to him. I'm like, do you think your wife would ever come on? He goes, absolutely she would. So here we are. What an interesting pathway. Um, and from some of the work I've been looking at with what you're doing in your story, um, I'm really intrigued by how you ended up doing what you're doing right now as a vocalist. You were a violinist. That's right. <laughs> okay, before we go into that, let's put a pin on that. Mm -hmm. um, if you listen to the show at all, I'm always fascinated with beginnings and origins. Uh, obviously, you love music. That's what you do. You are a musician. That is your life's work. How did Camila fall in love with music? What, what, are, the, what are the early origin stories of those moments that took a bite out of you and went, I, I love music? Yeah, um, it, it has been in my life since forever. Yeah. Um, I, I tell people that the most talented um, musician, the one I admire the most also is my, my dad. Amazing. He's, he's a pianist, a really incredible pianist. He never got to have a career as a musician that wasn't possible for him back in Brazil. But the passion, it is just what he does best. And um, there was always music in my, in my house. I, I grew up with him <laughs> um, playing in my Barbie's weddings, you know, live <laughs> music. So, so I was very fortunate to have um, him in my life and just it was always there I, I think as a child I just took it for granted um, when I was six years old um, my parents gave me my first violin really really tiny and <laughs> I, I didn't even at that time you know could tell oh I love music yeah, I, I was a, a baby you know okay. <laughs> did you ask for the violin or did they just impart it to you and, uh, and see I what had, would happen I actually asked for you the did. violin because my dad would have these gigs uh, with his friends they would play at weddings and stuff and um, in our tiny apartment is where they would all gather and just jam you know and, and get ready for these gigs so this was just there all the yep, time yep. and i actually really did love 
the violin more than the other instruments. So that's kind of, at least that's the story I, <laughs> my parents tell me, <laughs> but I, I think it's pretty accurate. Um, so I started playing when I was six. Um, I started, wow. yeah, with this family. It was a, an Asian family, very traditional, very uh, disciplined, you know, um, where I started my lessons. Um, and I, I kind of, in a way, I, when I was around 12 years old, I almost quit the violin. I didn't want to practice I wanted to play and be a child, right. you know, yeah. just just be a kid, and <laughs> and thank God I didn't, because at some point, just you know, something changed, and when I was twelve, I I found this new teacher, and suddenly I got really excited about practicing, and I went from no practicing to practicing four or five hours a day. Wow, what, um, what was the, what was the magic elixir that this new teacher unlocked in you? New music. Ah, yeah, it was just exciting. Cool, new music and really challenging too. It was just something that um, I <laughs> I love a challenge. <laughs> yeah, it's just a, a fun thing, you know, to do. And I knew I could actually um, achieve those goals once I just put in the work that that's when I learned, you know, that I could do pretty much anything yeah. with my instrument if I only put in the hours. So that's when things really changed. Uh, and when I was 14, 15, I knew this is what I wanted to do for life. I, I've only been in your presence for 10 minutes and I can already gather that you have an incredible uh, kill, killer instinct uh, strength in you that you just do and you do it uh, yeah. and, and you do it. <laughs> incredible. Um, I don't want to glaze over the fact that uh, you were incredibly blessed with the organic um, and, and lovely environment of f family, familial noise and sounds and music filling the atmosphere as a child growing up. That shapes uh, us as musicians and artists so much. It, it, it's happening so sneakily and so perfectly and naturally it happens under, under our noses and we don't know. And we look back in hindsight and go, oh my God, that, you know, the conservatories and the tutelage, that obviously gave me the mathematics and the arithmetic of the art form, but it was the family and those moments over dinner, hearing laughter, arguing, people tuning up, dropped notes. Those are the moments that really make us decide subconsciously, yes, this is who I am. I had the same thing. I grew up in a very large, loud Italian family. It was, it was music, food, and hairstyling. Everybody cut hair in my family. But I came by music naturally, and it was uh, celebrated, and it was, it was encouraged, and it was, it was as much a part of life as breathing was. So that's, that's very cool. I love how much uh, you point towards your dad for that whole thing. That's very cool. Yeah. What style uh, of music did he play? Sorry? What, what style of music did, did your father uh, it, lean it, toward? It was always classical, yeah. but he composes uh, quite a bit. Wow. All by year. Uh, nothing is written. That's actually one of the things I, 
it's one of my goals in life to actually start recording and put put it on paper because he won't do it. I know he won't, but he has written so much wow. fantastic music out of thin air. <laughs> wow. it's, it's unbelievable. So this was actually always something I really loved for, um, about him. It's just something I don't really... I never saw it in myself. I am a performer. Mm -hmm. uh, I never really composed, but I know this is something he just, he always did quite naturally. And another, th uh, uh, the other genre he played a lot at home, even more when I started singing, uh, was what we call Brazilian popular music. It's actually Brazilian folk okay. music. Um, and that was also very present in, in our our household so it was just um he he always taught choirs and and kids so that was always something it was there the entire time all what, these styles cool guy what's his name ricardo oh man what a name yeah. beautiful what 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 is how do i phrase this what is it to grow up brazil Brazil, I cannot speak tonight. What is it to grow up in Brazil, being a Brazilian? What what culturally is a um, unique thing to hold on to culturally that you've noticed maybe different from other places and people that you've experienced? What what, what do you take with you being raised and reared in Brazil? Hmm. Um, we don't waste time. Hmm. We are so intense about everything. What do you mean you don't waste time? You just like, you just, no bull crap. You just get it done. Yeah, we just get it done. We want something and we go after it. Um, what is that? What's the origin of that? I, I really believe it comes from struggle. Hmm. This heavy colonized place that to this day still deals with hmm. what happened, you know, five, hundred years ago um slavery and all of that the people there really found unique ways to get through um adversities wow. you know, so i i really do see this it's very common for you to meet brazilians who are extremely hard workers mm. and just go after the things they want i love that i've never heard that before It's funny when you hear, if there was a patchwork that's attached to any kind of culture, there, there always is a theme. I have a, I have, I'm a chef as well, so I have a book called Jerusalem, and it's about you know, Israeli street food. And, um, in, in the, during the foreword of the book, it says, uh, all Israelis, in fact, most of Middle East has one constant and one constant thing in common, and that is longing. The terms of, in, in terms of struggle and, and being in between spaces and, and conflict over territory and, and not having enough and hunger. But it was, such, such, it was so beautifully explained and described and it somehow lent itself to making the food even more delicious and beautiful sounding. And, and there was such a pride and a matter of factness about, yes, longing shaped this culture. And I was like, oh my God, One word, and I understood them even more. And you saying that about uh, not wasting time, 
the preciousness of time. That's that's I'll never I'll never see Brazil the same way. That's that's very cool. Interesting. Yeah, it's um I think that perception I got after I left oh, the country. Isn't that always the way? It, yeah. It just is. Yeah. Um, one of my projects, my current projects with my pianist, uh, Jolanda Tapia, we have a duo and we do a lot of Latin American music. And when we started doing the research to just come up with a repertoire and a story that we wanted to tell, we found a bunch of composers that were writing music inspired by their countries of origin after they left, mm. they became immigrants somewhere else. Then they started writing a lot of music, truly inspired by the folk stories and dances. And so, so it's something really special that happens. Um, once you leave, it's the longing. Isn't that funny? I want, I want to go down a chronological pathway, but, or but that was the plan, but, the, more, the longer I do these podcasts, the more I realize you just don't need a plan. You just Let's just have a conversation. I don't, I don't want to be chronological. I just want to talk to you as it comes up. So rather than go, and then what happened? And then ha what happened? I kind of want to camp here because I think it's special. Um, I, I am a big believer in geography. I think magic can happen when you leave and when you arrive and you set camp and you reinvent yourself. And you find out that you actually are carrying with you much more than you ever gave yourself credit for. And you never would have seen it unless you were in a new area. What were the, what were the immediate obvious things about you and the things you brought with you with your family that were screaming at you going, I am here. I, I have this in me when you, when you landed in Canada. I didn't think I was that bold. Hmm. Um, the way I got to Canada, it's kind of a crazy story. Hit, uh, hit me. What, what happened? <laughs> um, so I came to visit um, for the holidays. So my uncle and aunt, they have lived here for the past two decades. And I had just finished my undergrad in violin performance. I had my, my job as a violinist back in, in a symphony orchestra in Sao Paulo. And I was feeling quite like, wow, things are happening as a violinist. I'm, you did I'm actually, it. I did yeah, it. Yeah. And I was 21. Wow. Which was crazy, you know, just to also notice that I was starting to get a bit bored in hmm. that job. Did you panic at that, at that moment when you, when you achieved that thing and you went, oh shit. I'm I was bored. like, oh wow, that that's it? Wow. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, I worked towards this right. all my life, now which what? wasn't that long, but still, right? All my energy, all my efforts went towards that and it happened. And then I noticed everyone around me, all my colleagues that were, you know, playing in the orchestra too, that they were always complaining about something. There was mm. just this kind of like toxic energy mm. in the air. And I'm like, oh my God, some people have been doing this for 10, 20 years. And it just become a, a job. You just go there, you do what you're yeah. supposed to do, and you go back home. And I'm like, wait, that's not why I decided to do music right. <laughs> you know, right. to start with. Um, 
So um, once I um, once I finished my my undergrad, I I was like, okay, I need some. I just needed some time off, a vacation, <laughs> and I was saving money all these years after I got in the orchestra. I was like, okay, I I'm gonna visit my family in Canada because. Uh, I also had never been here in the winter. I wanted uh -huh. to see snow for the first yeah. time. <laughs> uh, so I was like, okay, I'm doing this. I bought my ticket uh, to be in Canada for three weeks. And so I arrived and I was actually already starting to flirt with the idea of singing because I was playing in the pit for opera productions at the time. That's how I kind of heard an opera singer right next to me for the wow. first time and i lost my mind i was like oh my god this is something else like i always played and music was in my life this entire time but i never heard the human voice like this before so that was kind of like the the seed the beginning of everything so once i came to canada i was considering the idea of starting to sing and But I, I had never really done any voice lessons. I, I heard from a teacher back at the university who very randomly heard me singing once. Uh, uh, <laughs> he was like, listen, I know that you're a violinist, but you should consider singing because you have an instrument and it's worth just, you know, wow. checking it out. Like you have nothing to lose. And he was very like, please don't be offended. You're a very good instrumentalist, but this could be also something in your life. So just think about it. Wow. So this was, you know, right before I came to Canada. So I arrived here thinking, okay, um, if I want to do this, I need to actually learn how to do it because you, you don't wake up and just, you know, start singing. Um, <laughs> you need technique <laughs> just just quickly when i was when i was learning about you and doing some investigating i was shocked that what i've known you for you came to it as a secondary pursuit after violin and i i'm still trying to wrap my head around that <laughs> how many years have you been doing it of, as, uh, in terms of uh, vocals yeah around five years <laughs> And so that was always in there. Yeah. Did you, were you, it couldn't have been a complete shock to you. You, you must have grown up singing. Okay. Okay. So, okay. So let's, let's keep going down the road here. Okay. Now, now I'm starting to get a better picture here. Okay. Yeah. So I arrive in Canada. It's the holidays, right? Christmas, New Year's Eve. I just wanted some information. In music, everything is about connections. It's all, you know, who you know, uh, where you go to school, right? And coming from Brazil, I didn't know any musicians here in Canada. It was just, you know, there was nothing. So I'm talking to my aunt, um, who she works for a company from home. And because of that, she at least she used to listen to the radio quite a bit. So it was just like in the background while she was working. So because of that, she really knew a lot of the 
the radio shows and the classical FM. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so I'm, so I'm talking to her, right? I'm like, yeah, you know, I've been thinking about singing, but I don't even know where to start. You know, um, she was like, Camilla, you're a mezzo soprano, aren't you? My aunt, she, she's not a musician. She's just like very in tune, you know, with. Uh, she gets it. She gets it. Yeah. She is a very special, very smart woman. And she's like, you know, you're a mezzo. There's this show on the radio, and one of the co hosts, she's a mezzo too. <laughs> Like, what do you think we send an email to the radio asking them to forward it to the name of the woman as Jean Stilwell, this mezzo-soprano? She's like, why don't we do that? Just asking for information. She's like, if there's someone who's going to know, it's her. And what's the worst that can happen? No answer. Whatever. We move on. And that was the craziest idea I had ever heard. But I was like, actually, you're right. I'm like, why not? Yeah. <laughs> you know? So, um, a week later, we heard back. This woman, Jean, she replied and was like, hey, I would love to meet with your niece. And um, how is this Saturday, you know, at a coffee shop here wow. in Toronto? And we lost it. Wow. <laughs> we were like, wait a second. This is happening. This, this woman is actually going to share her time. And she's actually interested in, in helping out. It was so shocking to us. We got so excited. So at the time, my English was also so bad. You know, so my aunt, she, she came with me to the coffee shop. She's like, okay, I'm going to help you, you know translate things and just get the communication going uh but this is great camilla you know this this is really fantastic just to get to talk to this person um you know so that that day we met with jean and jean asked me she's like tell me your story and i just want to know more about you and what what do you need from me how can i help you wow uh, so generous it, what, that's exactly the word, a generous soul. Yeah. She didn't have to do that. Not wow. at all. Wow. So she talked to me and I explained to her, I was like, listen, Jean, um, I have a pretty stable life in Brazil right now. As a violinist, there is no reason for me to leave my family, my friends, my career behind, unless... I really know that there's something here. I dream very big, but I also am very aware of reality, you know? So, so I'm telling this to her, and she's like, well, you seem like a very grounded person. So I feel like it's worth a shot, you know, now that I heard you and your story. You know what? I'm going to connect you with two of the people I trust the most in my team was wow. my voice teacher and my vocal coach. And they will tell you if there's something there, they will be very honest with you. It's right out of a movie. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I do believe that if you knock on a door though, many times the the other side will answer. I believe that you just, too. you just gotta, you just gotta ask. Exactly. That's why you're here tonight. 
Right. <laughs> and anybody that's ever come on, I'm like, we come on the show. I'm like, yeah, not the same thing. But anyway, yes, keep going. Yeah. Um, so when that happened, um, I was about to go home in in a week or so. I met with these two people, the vo- vo- voice teacher and the vocal coach, and I had the same conversation with them. You know, and I was like, "Listen, I'm going back to to Brazil, and in a week, and I just need some guidance here. I am considering this for real, but not sure where to start." So they heard me, and they looked at me. Both uh, we met separately, but the answer was pretty much the same. They were like, "Listen, you want to do this, don't you?" I was like, "Yeah, absolutely. I really do." Like, well, then you got to stay and work. Wow. You got to put in the work and we can help you get ready for, for school, you know, for auditions, but you need to stay. Like you can't go back to Brazil. So that week was probably one of the hardest weeks of my life. Oof, so you had, to, you had to labor over the decision. Exactly. What a crossroads moment. Exactly. Wow. Family and life as you know it. Yeah. Or the unknown future. I had my one suitcase, like if, you know, I was staying, I wouldn't even have clothes for the summer, you know? <laughs> wow, what a story. Did did you need to know if you were good enough or did you know that you were, but you just needed to know if it was meant to be by how they respond to, <laughs> uh, do you know I, what I'm saying? What, that's a very good question. Well, what, what were you needing to hear from them? Um, I, I always knew, um, but I need the universe the confirmation because i don't do things just out of my head i am always trying to get confirmation i need a burning bush yeah yeah so Yeah. yeah i always knew otherwise i wouldn't even really consider it um you know and there's just something about singing that i started to understand around that time there was something really special in it I didn't have the training, but the the soul connection was there more than there had ever been with the violin. You said in an interview that, first of all, that you were blown away by being in the proximity of, of an opera singer, and that blew your mind. Mm-hmm. But you just started to have this really simple understanding that, yes, an instrument is powerful, but a vocalist has words has has language and that was really i actually wrote it down after you had said that and i rewound it i'm like that's what a what a really simple but powerful truth there's all of this power but then there's this extra weapon called language john Mayer was going to school at berkeley for just guitar and halfway through his curriculum he said i don't want to just be a session guy I want to write lyric. I want to convey more of a story outside of this this guitar neck and these these six strings. I want to be an artist. I want to be a poet, a writer. And so he took that 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 left turn, and he is what he is today. Um, I just love the way you perceived that simple but very powerful thing. They the the singer has. Yeah, and <laughs> the funny thing, and here we we go back to, again, my dad, who 
turns out his career. He's a um, Portuguese uh, teacher. So language in our house was always really important in communication and speaking and reading. So... What does that mean? Did he just put a heavy emphasis on proper, like, diction and grammar and and elocution and reading? Like, is that what you mean? Like, he just, celebra- he just celebrated the, the discipline of yes the language and not just i think the discipline but the beauty of it i love that i love that the poetry of it the rhythm of it see i don't think english speaking people can say that there is a musicality to italian Mm -hmm. to french to portuguese to spanish spanish you hear it like they always say oh it's it's so much funnier in sicilian it's not, it's not as funny when you say it in can you know in America, and I'm like oh, I was always, always wondering like why is that? And then you, I, it's all coming into focus right now with, with your speaking because there's a musicality and a lilting to certain phonetic things in different languages. I love that someone loves their mother tongue that much that they celebrate it and fight to keep it intact in their family. Yes. We don't do that here. <laughs> wow, yeah. wow. Yeah, it it was a special thing that again, another thing I just took for granted. I, mm. I never, you know, really thought much about it. And then once that became part of my life, it it really took things to the next level. What was it like when you were starting to unlock? Of course you had a, you had a foundational gifting in vocals and music. Mm-hmm. You could sing. But Undoubtedly, there was uh, a mastering of harnessing a power, um, how to manipulate it and how to, how to aim true and hit the target. What is that like when you're learning how to wield a new weapon and go, oh my God, I, this, this, this sword of mine is a lot sharper and longer and, and headier than I thought it was. Like, What was that like to just watch yourself unlock <laughs> it's it's an emotional roller coaster. Did you know it was happening while it was happening, or is it more of a hindsight thing? Were you? No, you definitely know. Wow. You can't ignore it. So can, walk me through that. Like, what what yeah. are the first moments of going? Holy shit! Well, I, I didn't know that was a thing. Sure, <laughs> I you know speaking more specifically about the voice because that's when yeah. that became really clear to me. Also, that doesn't happen with every teacher. You need a very good teacher who teaches you not as a an instrument, as someone who understands that the instrument is attached to the body, to the mind, to the heart, to the soul. Right. It's, you know, everything influences the vocal instrument. It's not external, right? So things get way more personal in that sense. So um, working with a teacher that, really showed me that side of things. Um, <laughs> a f- kind of a funny curiosity. It's very common for uh, singers to cry in their lessons. <laughs> mm. <laughs> More often than in... Why is that? Yeah, because um, you can't really hide mm. anything when you're singing. And a good teacher with good ears will be like, okay, stop. What's happening? You're having a bad day and you're just like, no, I'm going to my lesson. I'm going to do this. And you're just like, right, doing work. And your teacher is like, 
okay, we got to stop here because clearly there's something going on and we need to work through it. We cannot just ignore it because wow. if you ignore it, uh, nothing is going to happen. So, because what you're doing, you're, you have one foot in, you have, you have actually m- mul- multiple disciplines happening. You have the technical aspect of things. You have the theory. You have you know the mathematics and arithmetic of the art form. You have the vocals, but watching you perform, you're also an actor. And what you're saying to me sounds very much like a master workshop working with a acting instructor and pulling all of the stuff out of you. So there's a serious intimacy there, and I, I can I can understand that. That's wild. Yes. Wow. One of the things uh, one of my teachers tells me, <laughs> um, they say, "Listen, you cannot have too many voice teachers because this really is right. an incredibly intimate right. relationship." Yeah. Because your voice teacher will see you more vulnerable than probably your life wow. partner. Wow. Depending on the situation, right? And that's why they said you have to stay here because if we're going to invest in you. Exactly. You, you, it's almost like you imprint on, on your teacher and vice versa. 100%. Wow, you blow my mind right now. Yeah. Wow. So I, so one of the, probably one of the most impactful moments for me was when I was working um, with my teacher doing a lesson and he looked at me and he was like listen there's an, inst- an instrument there that you don't even know about it yet it's like i've heard it you haven't the voice is really big and you're gonna make a lot of sound and you're gonna have to be okay with occupying that much space oh my god <laughs> And uh, that was crazy. I remember the first time I actually heard my voice, you know, really, um, let's say, augmented in a way that I never heard before. Your voice likely would have went out of you and around you. Yes. See, because I'm, I'm, I'm a vocalist. I understand shape and, and breathing and, you know, the nostril and the palate. And, and I'm, I'm actually a highly... Uh, undisciplined vocalist, but I do know theoretically what you should do, (laughs) but I can only imagine with the proper tutelage that, which I undoubtedly you had that you would have been in a sphere of sound floating around your head. That's right. I remember just getting the chills and feeling like I had this superpower. It was so empowering and so scary at the same time. What was scaring you about it? Well, uh, then we got to go back. Uh, <laughs> um, Have you talked about this before like this? Um, well, Because I bits, feel like you're unpacking yeah. it in such a cool way. I've never, heard, <laughs> I've never heard it from this perspective. That's very, very cool. Yeah. Keep going. So um, I, as, you, as I mentioned, I grew up in a very loving, very caring family. Mm-hmm. Also a very extremely religious family. Okay. Um, like what Pentecostal non-denominational yeah it's the congregation um, it's it's like a Protestant okay. um, yeah in Brazil it's really big 
And um, so you're one of the countless musicians that was raised in the church. Oh wow, this is the interesting story. The church, still to this day, um, women can only play the organ at the church, not at the orchestra. So um, I never played at the church, even though I was ten times better than anyone in in the orchestra at the time. I have a huge smile on my face right now. <laughs> this, this is this is a contentious topic. Okay. Yeah. I love it. Um, wow. So, quick question. Yeah. If that wasn't in place, which is archaic and crazy, would you still be there? I don't think so. Okay. I don't know. That's that's that we we could do a whole other podcast uh, on that topic. That. <laughs> <laughs> Round two. Okay. Anyway, yeah. I'm, I'm digressing. Keep going. Yeah. Um. So. Did that just piss you off, though? Of course. Because you, you had this thing in you that you wanted to do. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, was it more anger or heartbreak? Um, I think it was heartbreak, but with a you know, mask of anger. Um, you know, uh, in the front, I was just like really mad and really like, what, why is this? This doesn't make any sense, right? It's the 21st century. Come on. Was you know? your father heavily involved with the church too? <laughs> so that makes it even... That much more difficult. But my dad was always on my side. Oh, I love it. And what's, what's always his, knew. What's his name again? Ricardo. Ricardo. Yeah. What a name. Yeah, okay. he, he always knew that was problematic, hmm. you know, but um, anyway. Yeah. So growing up in a quite traditional um, church, everything I heard my entire life growing up was that you should be really humble, really, you know, we are all so blessed and so lucky that we have God in our lives, uh, which that it's okay. That's part of that part is okay. It's fine. I, I, I agree, but it was all about like, um, making yourself really small because God is this right entity and we, we would call that false humility that's right okay. i'm on the page yeah i speak your vernacular i know yeah i know where you're coming from so yeah. um that is not something that goes away when you leave the church right it's with you i grew up i was raised in this it stains you yeah yeah for life so one of the biggest works i still do to this day it's not really the technical anymore. Sure, we, we're always getting better and, you know, we keep working on things, but it's more the psychological, emotional side of being a singer and just being who you are unapologetically because we occupy a lot of space. When I say space, it's like sound, it's posture. Singers need to move in a different way. You really do take up a lot of space you you yeah. you are i've watched you i've watched operatic performances one singular opera performer has the energy and space as you say of of three people and i'm not being hyperbolic like there's such when when they're good the the 
the power is it's it's almost unnerving. It's like it's like you can't look you can't look at it too long. It's like whoa, yeah. The intensity, the the. Oof. Okay, keep going. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's huge, and it's that's the art form. So so, what was it like to? That's interesting that you say that. So you you you're reared in an environment to teach you to be you know the meek shall inherit the earth kind of thing, and I'm I'm really you know uh, generalizing and simplifying, but. There is this posture of, you know, um, you know, Lucifer fell from heaven because of his pride and his, you know, he was a musician as well and he was anointed. So there's that duality going on where you have, you take with you what you were raised in, yet you're, you're looking down the barrel of this new future of power and fire. So how the hell did you straddle that? And how are you straddling that? How, how much does it, do you hear those voices at war inside you? Huh. Um, you know, it happens. It kind of, it kind of happens in a way. I don't really hear the voices anymore, but I will watch myself mm. and see a movement that I do where I kind of close myself. Up. Wow! And I'm like, there it is. Wow! This is it. Your tell. Yeah. Every actor has a tell. That's it. Oh right? man! So there are very clear moments. And that I've gotten some feedback on that from people I, I trust. Mm-hmm. You know, they are like, listen, the, the instrument is there. The voice is there. Like, why, why this movement? Why this is this happening? And then I'm like, oh, okay, this is the, that thing I keep working on. You know, and the thing is that I think in this profession, um, one of the trainings is just... Um, getting used to feeling that powerful and that big. I love this. This is so good. I have so many musicians that come on here, but, but none like this in terms of this discipline. They don't talk like that because they don't wield a power like that. And I, and I say that humbly and I know you mean it humbly as well. It's, it's very unique. Um, I lost my train of thought because I have so many questions I want to ask you. Um, the movements that you get found out on by the, those closest to you or that you catch yourself doing, are they a hiding movement? 100%. Is it physical? Is it in your eyes? Is it vocally? It's physical, but the thing with the physical is that it affects the sound. Wow. Because really grand, and not just grand, I will say even the sweetest, the most delicate sounds, they happen from a place of energy, and flowing energy. Once you close yourself up for anything, even physically, then that energy kind of stops. The vibration of the sound stops. And the thing is that uh, uh, from the audience, you know, even the person who is the furthest away in the theater. If you are putting that energy out there physically, they will hear it, even if there isn't really sound, but they hear with their eyes. <laughs> is it a spiritual experience when you're, when you're, when it's, when it's perfect, when, when everything is as it should be in the performance? 
Is there a part, point of convergence where you're going from physically performing something to going into a spiritual space? 100%. Yes. Um, some people call that the flow, right? Um, it doesn't happen too often, but the moments where it happens are the moments where we know it doesn't matter what happens later on or how things are difficult or how much you're struggling with anything in this career because it really is a tough career. You're like, this is worth it. I experienced this for 10 seconds. Mm. Worth it. Yes. Yes, I... I, I I make I joke about it, but it, it is the truth. Like being a restaurant, a restaurant guy and owning something, you know, this place here, it's worth it. Like once a week, when everything's just like you hear the sounds of the of the room, and it's like, ah, this is why I'm doing this. Yeah. And other times, it's like, what have I done? <laughs> but <laughs> right? but those those redeemable moments, they're they're enough to hold you, to anchor you. There's so many places I want to go with this. Uh, What, what do you think is the, is the big difference? I mean, obviously, technique is wildly different with rock, you know, vocalists and pop and, you know, country and all that stuff. And there, there are certain tenets that are, there's general truths that come across multiple spectrums. But what do you think are some of the, the, the more lesser known and obvious differences between operatic performances and disciplines and techniques versus, you know, the average vocalist what do we get wrong about about what it is that you do oh okay yeah. that's that's the question both and yeah yeah um i would say you know in classical music it doesn't matter which instrument you know including voice opera um there is this search for real perfection hmm. and it's it's like not a healthy thing. <laughs> it takes people to, you know, um, it, it, it goes too far sometimes. It's a manic pursuit of technique. Yes. Because many people forget that the technique exists as a tool right. for expression. Right. You don't work for the technique. The technique works for you. And many people get lost. Wow. Whereas rock and roll or pop, part of the technique is the imperfection. In fact, it's celebrated. It's like, oh man, that guy's voice, that, you know, that's, that's, that's unmistakably him. What a, I don't know if you, could, you could, if you could be more opposite in terms of those two extremes. And both have crazy merit, but that's, that's wild. Because you're, you're, you are stra- you're tying yourself to a cruel master, but also a beautiful master as well. Yes. It's, and, and that's the kind of the sick beauty of, <laughs> of the pursuits that the arts is. It, it's, it's two sides of the coin. It really is. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And there is this side, you know, uh, that I know the performers I admire the most. They have gone there. It doesn't happen too often, but... When you hear it, it's really special. Mm-hmm. And certain performances, because the character is asking for that, because the story is asking for that, then there's this, just this raw, mm. 
beauty and the sound that it's not the beauty that you would expect from an opera singer it's just a human being screaming right it's it's something really uh primal and i've heard this in some of the best of the best some of some legends out there um and you got to be very courageous to do something like that cuz um some purists won't uh, love <laughs> hearing that but it's the most exciting that can possibly happen in this world of opera one of the biggest takeaways i'm going to have with this conversation and in my time with you is there's a, there's definitely a through line with a theme and a theme here with what you say and, and that is courage and honesty the, the the courage to be honest and to be honest enough to have courage it seems to be that is more than technique more than anything there's this like are you willing to go to the dark places the unknown places the beautiful places like that's that's the takeaway is the is courage yeah um <laughs> i'm not saying that's the truth but what i'm what i'm taking from from what you're saying is like yeah you got to you got to have balls <laughs> truly <Yeah>. yes <laughs> pardon, my, pardon my french no it, it's just what it is <clears throat> wow and and i remember the first time i i heard that too i remember when my my teacher told me uh <laughs> it's like camilla um, 98% is not enough Jeez. sorry like don't even waste your time or mine how are you with hearing those things do you get crushed are you are you you seem to be you seem to be someone who's very i wouldn't i don't know if you're uh what's the word I'm looking for uh competitive but i, I definitely think you have you're not a, you don't have a quit in you do you like okay i'm going to okay noted now i'm going to do it or are you do you have a self loathing got person in you that you have to fight through like what how does camila hear those things and move forward uh, <laughs> i get really fired up okay and that was my that was my well, wager i will prove you wrong uh i will <laughs> uh what it what is it that i need to do i i'll gotcha. work on it i'll gotcha. go home work on it and then i'll deliver it yeah. your speaking style your attack and volume and uh rhythm you're very calm is that you have you always been that way or does that come on the other side of spending so much time with power coming out of your mouth and head like do is that learnt on the other side of the discipline or have you always been just kind of chill i've always been kind of chill okay. It's so funny because it's 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 just such a paradox. Like I've I've seen you sing, <laughs> and I'm hearing you speak, and I'm watching you. And I'm like, is this the same person? Um, I mean, obviously, you're not going to be walking around screaming all the time. You know, you speak, but uh, it's 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 wild, and that does speak to the discipline, though. It's like inside, tucked away in a in a cavern somewhere inside you is this 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 cannon. <laughs> it it's an interesting thing cuz um even though you may not be aware right of mm -hmm. these um uh personalities or you know whatever you want to call it like inside you you just know there's something right and you're just gonna gotta give it a a chance so for me it was a bit of 
I think I have pretty good instincts um, and I, I always follow them. It was not always easy, of course, but um, I think my instincts are always bringing me closer to myself. Your gut has led you to good places. Yeah. And, and, and I know that. I know that. Well, I'm, I'm, I think we're lucky in the sense that I just have a gut feeling about it. And generally when I go, it bears fruit. Yeah. And a lot of people, I, I talk about this ad nauseum. A lot of people don't have that. They just kind of play it safe or the gut game isn't really their thing. They just, they, they live a different path, but <clears throat> we're definitely led by the gut. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I can't imagine. No, I know. Life yeah, would be yeah. without it. <laughs> I let's put a pin in this. Cause this is for me, this is gold. I, I'm loving this part of this story. Um, but I do want to know, Was there a song as a child or as a teen or an album or a moment or a performance on TV or even, you know, a song that your dad would, would perform where you went, oh my God, I must be a part of this. Like I remember before I daydreamed about being in Guns N' Roses or Smashing Pumpkins or playing the Grammys, my first tier dream was to be able to be good enough to play at the family jam with my uncles on guitar. That was a that was a big deal, and then it it progressed. But what were the early giants that you looked up to and were utterly inspired by that you knew you needed to be a part of that? Do you do you remember what those moments were? I actually do. What are they? Yeah, I yes, I was a teenager. It was when I discovered Brazilian music, um, really for the first time when I was old enough to start to understand what those lyrics were about. And more particularly, there is this Brazilian composer and singer called Chico Buarque. And he's a legend in Brazil, also in Portugal. He's also a writer, a really brilliant uh, artist. And he wrote this entire album during the dictatorship in 1964 in Brazil mm. when he was exiled. Wow. <laughs> uh, and the only way for him to keep writing music at that time uh, was just to <laughs> write about the situation, not in an obvious, obvious way. Mm. And he, uh, his lyrics was so interesting when I started to understand the nuances. Were they veiled words? They were 100% like, It's like capoeira, veiled. the martial art, the Brazilian yes, martial art. Yes, exactly. Hidden. It so, was all there. Wow. But, so we would get through, right, the, you know, you know dictatorship and that horrendous time uh, in this, the history of our country. So I remember listening to that and starting to understand the genius wow. and and it was all really in the words i loved the music it was really um powerful but it was about just how much there was in that poetry and the way that story was being told it's like a glyph multiple layers exactly You're decoding wow so for me that was a real adventure and i remember the time when i discovered that this the singer, uh, composer. Then I went back to this album my dad would play for me as a child. 
which was apparently an open for kids. And I'm doing the, how do you call this? <laughs> quote unquote. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Quote unquote, you know, for kids. Uh, because it was a bunch of, you know, animals singing and all of that. And it was composed by the same guy. Again, all hidden. It was all about that. So I started to go back wow. and remember just listening to this album when I was five or six years old. And finally understanding what the, that was all about. Um, that was life-changing to me. Wow. That was something, and not classical music at all. It was just the power, again, of words, of intention, storytelling, which is, to this day, one of the most important aspects of my performing career, storytelling and connection. And that all kind of started back then. And I cha it, it changed the way I listened mm. to music and how I perceived, you know, those sounds. I understood that everything, that it just had a reason. The Nothing power of art. Yeah. Realizing it is a weapon. It really was. Wow. You know, that I, I, I actually think about this a lot. Um, guys like C.S. Lewis, who was a huge theologian and, and huge Christian thinker and a great thinker in his own right. He was, he was a contemporary and best friend with J.R. Tolkien. One of the, one of the coolest things that he did was, and, and one of the lesser known things that he did was he would, uh, during the bombing campaigns of, uh, on England, he had a radio show on BBC and he would basically speak life and encouragement and tell stories to the people of London who were getting bombed. And it was such a courageous, powerful act. And he, the vehicle was, was art and storytelling and words. And what you just told me about this composer and this poet, same thing. And I think about the world we live in, and the world is literally on fire more often <laughs> than not. That's a whole other thing. And I find myself very frustrated and very discouraged a lot of the time as a father, as a human, as a person who wants to to add to the beauty of the world when it just feels like the, the world doesn't want that. And I've come to this this realization that perhaps my life's work has, has less to do with what I'm doing as a musician or a chef or a podcaster, but finding ways for culture to find its way through the noise and let art be ointment for the human soul. What do I have in my arsenal to push back against the darkness and give life and artistic culture to the people when they need it the most. And I, and I, and I'm kind of going on a tangent here, but what you're, what you're saying to me and how that affected you is that, that a great song is lovely, but if you can find a way to be intentional and almost weaponize art to inject hope to people, and to turn the tide of darkness into, oh, you know, no, yeah, I, I, I know this is going on, but also this. I, I think that takes crazy courage and vision, and it's a selfless act to take your art and put it out there for people to go another day. 
Am I making sense? 100%. Yeah. There's really no through line to my statement. I'm just, I'm sharing that with you human to human, artist to artist, because I think we both understand that and we've been moved by, by artists that have gone before us that have done just that. And I mm-hmm. guess like, the question I ask myself is, do I have what it takes and the courage to find a way to do that? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yes, I do. Um, the, the interesting thing about this is that sometimes I wonder, you know, that there's all the courage aspect that it really does take. It's a very vulnerable thing. It's very hard to keep going, right? As we said, like there's one day <laughs> in the week where it's all worth right. it, right? right. Uh, but most of the time it's just, you know, hustling is a struggle. It's and the world, right, is on fire, really, <laughs> literally. Yeah. Um, so the thing I noticed, very personally speaking, many people have told me, like, wow, it seems like you have so much courage to mm. do the things you did. And this is going to sound so cheesy, and I really don't mean it this Hit way. Me. Do it. But I don't think it's a choice for most of us. Yes and amen, and yes and yes and yes. A racehorse has to run. A bird's got to fly. An artist has to create art because I also say this, and now we're going to go. We're going. We're going deep here. But I have often said this: the this, the heart of a soldier or a fighter is the same as the heart of an artist. They inhabit the same space, and. It doesn't matter if someone disagrees with me. I know that to be true. You have to. You just have to. You have to find a way. And I think that's why I get so frustrated with with adults, quote unquote, who don't or didn't or wouldn't let themselves dream or... But I also can't hold people to the same standard as our, our specific calling. Everyone's got their grace area, but it's not corny at all. <laughs> you just have to. Yeah. You have to. Uh, and that's why when you do what you do, people stop and notice. Right? Uh, I, I fully agree with you. And uh, the world is a better place because of the people that I said, I have to do this. I have to. And, and uh, sidebar, crazy respect for you and anyone that gets a paycheck, even if it's a penny, for doing art. And for going, this is what I'm going to do. I'm not, I'm not taking the bank job. I'm not taking the corporate thing. I am going to find a way to be an artist. The fact that you're doing it, I have crazy respect for you. Same amount of respect for someone who became a doctor. Like, it's a noble, it's God's work. So well done. Thank you. Um, I'm, I'm really enjoying this conversation because it's, it's, I, I'm inhabiting space I haven't, inhabited on this podcast because what you do it's not just the arts it's it's spiritual it's raw it's humbling it's honest and what makes it so cool is that most of us know nothing about what it is you do we see generalizations of what, oh, look at the opera singer, you know, she's wearing the horned helmet and it's like, you know, there's the moment, you know, the big opera moment, but like, 
this is why I wanted you on because I know there's so much more going on. I see your eyes when you're performing. I'm like, there is like, she's going to a different place. So kudos to you for that. I have this question that I, that I keep having run through my mind. And the question is, is can you be a good operatic performer and not be good at acting? <laughs> In the past, you could. The majority of the older singers, you know, past generations, in opera used to be what we call the <laughs> uh, stand and bark. I love it. <laughs> uh, there was a name, right? Because literally that's what you did. You stood there. Stand and deliver. And deliver, you know, with your arms really wide open right. and da-da, here okay. it is, opera, bye, and then you leave the stage. Um, that doesn't work anymore because of the world we live in and just how the art form has evolved. Also, thank God for that. You know, it's just, it's becoming way more interesting in many ways. And um, so many singers in the past, I don't, I can't, tell you that they didn't know how to act. They didn't have that as part of their training, truly. You know, they were taught that everything they wanted to uh, convey through their music, it had to happen through their voice solely. And that is still, you know, true today. We should be, you know, focusing on that through the instrument. The voice in opera, that really is, like, in a... Uh, mm. You know, in the hierarchy, it's yeah. a, the vocal the qualities yeah. that that that's number one, and then everything else. But um, acting nowadays, it it really is a must. Even more in North America, in Europe, they are a bit more okay with more voice, you know, and less acting, but in North America, absolutely. It's, it's gotta be there. Um, and I mean, we, it, you know, it's an art form that really needs to continue evolving because right. we need newer audiences. We need, that was my next question. Just, just quickly. Yeah. Europe has more of a, of a, uh, hereditary pedigree with, opera and classical music so it's 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 ingrained it's in the dna yeah i can understand how the, the new world of north america uh that part of the west yeah you need to, to augment that with performance but uh you kind of see a resurgence of let, let's say american boxing it's kind of mma has kind of taken over as the gladiator sport but there's this now this groundswell of uh the art of american boxing trying to come back it's this traditional um pugilistic tradition and it's coming into a very slowly but surely it's coming into a renaissance again where does opera go for the future where is is there is there a groundswell happening with with a newer generation how, how do we take it into the future yeah so um there it really is happening now many new composers writing stories that matter Nowadays, so that's number one. Mm. It's happening in the biggest opera houses out there, the Metropolitan Opera. They are really putting on stage new works, not just the same as they used to do 
for centuries. Yeah, that's illuminating because I always assume that you guys are just doing the standards. Yeah. Okay. That, that, that started to change even more after the pandemic. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's, uh, well, there is a real urgency, you know, since so many opera houses just closed right. their doors right. during the pandemic. It, was, it, it hit our industry oh. really hard. I mean, that's... I can only imagine. Yeah. So, um, so because of that, there really is a lot going on where people are trying to diversify things and bring, you know, multimedia... Um, um, aspects to the performance that is not just you know what most audiences were used to um, for me opera I know it will survive it sure. has survived this entire time but I wanted to see it thrive mm -hmm. and it's not thriving right now <laughs> and what I you know the the way I see it and my role in this in this as well is continue to tell stories that matter because that's what people want to listen to. Not more of the same, I don't know, motor opera that they have done a million times that really didn't age well, you know, mm. <laughs> and things like that. Right. Like, you know, so I am very in tune with contemporary works and, and composers we're doing interesting things um, nowadays and are tapping into important topics. Um, nothing really revolutionary. It's just, you know, being human beings in this world in the 21st century. What does that mean for right now for us? You know, I, I, so as a singer, my first foray into music was um, Prince, Michael Jackson, Motown. And then it was the musical Jesus Christ Superstar. It had a profound effect on me. Um, and I was fortunate enough to do semi-professional theater for about five years. And Jesus Christ Superstar was the first one I did. And that was a huge deal for me. And then I did uh, the musical Hair. The point is, is that in the 70s, late 60s, 70s, and it's even into the 80s, especially thanks to guys like Andrew Lloyd Webber, but the, the composers who did the musical Hair, the hippie musical, this, the off-Broadway movement of radical musicals that just smashed convention um, was shocking. And the music was outstanding. Rock opera mm -hmm. defied all, the, all logic. Um, I would love to see that happen in opera. Well, it has started. That's, that's very cool has started we cool. we are hearing more and more opera that people are like okay this kind of sound like opera because there's an orchestra and right. opera singers but really uh, yeah. you know there's flamenco there's you know so much dance and rhythms you know you get african rhythms latin american rhythms and you start to just bring all these worlds together that's where magic happens right. nowadays yeah. a collision of cultures yeah Going back to the acting uh, component of things, um, how's that whiskey, by the way? Very do, good. Do you approve? I approve. Okay. Obviously, you're you're not running around the stage doing acrobat acrobatics to convey a physical performance. I, I noticed that outside of the voice, you are 
you are acting tremendously with your eyes. How much of an emphasis is, is uh, the mastery and the discipline of like performing? It seems as though you have a very small box or a small center point to convey. And I feel like the eyes are obviously the window of the soul, but like, is that, am I, am I, am I off on that? Like is, or is that something part of the discipline is, is the eyes? Um, <laughs> I, I love this perspective because nobody asked me this before. Hmm. I will say this is a me thing. Is it? Um, there, of course the eyes are really, they tell all these stories, but I heard a lot, um, in the past, that there's so much going on with my eyes, mm. more than usual. And I'm not sure where that comes from, but I know it's related to the need to connect. Mm. And, um, and, you know, it, it, the, it's an interesting thing about acting, because um, one of the best techniques I've learned as a, a singing actor is it, it can be very easy for you to get lost in, in the beauty and the rottenness and the, just the magic of the stories we're telling because those are very profound, very intense stories. And it's also very easy for that, because you're getting emotional, for that to affect your instrument. Mm -hmm. So it affects you vocally, in kind of a negative way not not in, in those moments where you do it intentionally but it can happen you can really sing very well if you're about to cry right like mm. things like that so that's where i'm going with this so i remember the first time i heard from from a really fantastic acting teacher um where he he told us he was like listen you will i know you want to experience things we <laughs> he called it, sorry for what i'm about to say but he actually said that he was like we are all um feeling whores we hmm. just want to feel things we love to feel it and sometimes we feel it so much that we forget about the audience oh. <laughs> we forgot we forget yeah. why we're doing this you know just because the music the everything but that's we, a good thing right um, it is a good thing to a certain point because... But you can leave them in the dust and forget they're there? Exactly. Interesting. You really can. Really? 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 You can get so enraptured in what you're doing that you can forget that there are hundreds of people staring at you. Yes. See, that's... I've never experienced that. And I think that's the difference between your discipline and other disciplines. Wow. As we were talking about this, I think I actually have an answer uh, at, to what's the, you know the difference mm -hmm. and the level of hyper focus we need to do what we do at the level that we do is something like I've never experienced before. You're transcending a different I headspace. I remember when uh, th there was a, a ranking. It was very interesting. I can remember which uh, research that was, but this is a real thing. There was a ranking of the hardest uh, professions in the world. One of them was a, a very specific type of deep diving. <sighs> Breathing. Num and Yeah, number one. Number two, brain surgery. Yeah. 
Number three, opera singing. Oh, wow. <laughs> Because, um, so we were talking about how much people have no idea, right? What do we do as singers? They think you just go there, open your mouth, and right. there's the sound. The amount of uh, studies in languages we need to do. So we can sing in five different languages, right? We need to know every single word we are singing, even if we don't speak the language. But we why? The why is you're singing it. The, 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 yeah, I get it. Yeah, right? yeah. We, so, so we really need to work on that. Wow. And then we need to have literal muscles, micro muscles working for us. It's all, it happens all inside your body. Nobody sees it. But the amount, the athleticism of an opera singer is unbelievable. Yeah. I've spent, you know, weeks without singing, just taking some time off. When you come back, it's not fun. <laughs> wow. You know, it's so it, it's a real thing. So for you to do that on stage mm -hmm. with your colleagues that are singing at you, sometimes someone is throwing something at you from the other side of the stage, right? Sometimes you trip on your costume and you need to keep going. And then on top of all of that, you you are singing in a foreign language that you probably don't speak. Uh, <laughs> and you need to deliver at the highest level technically, because if you don't, um, you're not going to survive in wow. the industry. Wow. This is truly illuminating. We never think about this stuff. That's wild. Yeah, it's like you're an F1 Car, car racer versus a Sunday driver. Yes. Hyper, hyper focused. Yeah. Wow. So just ev everything's firing all at the same time. Thank you for that. Um, I, I really don't want to hear from myself at all, but I, I have to have some, I have some anecdotal things to help attempt to kind of speak the same vernacular as you. Um, I remember when we were doing Hair, the musical we started the show, uh, we played hippies in New York City, and so we were basically loitering and panhandling on stage before the show started. So people would come in to find their seats, and we would like ask them for change and you know, smoke a cigarette with them, and, and we would interact with them. And That show specifically, I remember saying certain lines or finishing a certain song, and you'd hear a singular exhale or a sound of glee or... Uh, oh, you hear a, a moment. And there's a, there's a, it's, it's like when you're having an argument with, with a lover or your child or your best friend and there's that moment where you reach them and you can sense something's crossed over. It's like, oh, okay, I have you, you're back. There's a moment when, when a room shifts and there's a transference. Can you smell it? Can you feel it? Can you hear it when, when you have them? Yes. What's, can you talk, talk us through the moment where the room goes from being a cold space full of strangers where all, all of a sudden everything sinks up and you're one? Walk us through that. Um, well, I should probably start saying that that's probably the most addicting drug mm. that exists because that's... Huh incredibly powerful is that the end goal yes it's the moment when you're 
actually able to connect with a room full mm -hmm. of people mm -hmm. um, without, you know, it's hard to explain what's really happening, but you're all part of that experience. Is it supernatural? It is. It is. It's a spiritual experience. Yes. Yeah. That's how I experience yeah. it, at least. Um, so, going back to that acting teacher, mm -hmm. um, when he was telling us, he was like, listen, you can't really forget your audience completely. And there's a way to continue feeling what you're feeling. So here's what you do. You go on stage, you do what you need to do in the most honest and generous way possible. You don't let that affect you emotionally because you're not feeling anything really. You will feel things, but you don't need to go that far. But you will look at your audience and you will see in their faces. Mm. And that's when you get your high. That That's where you really experience you have them. the whole thing. It's not from you to yourself, right? It, it first goes to them and then they give it to you. They give it back. That's why our art form disappeared during the pandemic, because there's no opera without an audience. Oof, there's no opera without an audience. That's, that's the slug line right there. Damn. It's an intimate human thing. I mean, and that's, that's the arts. And that's, that's, that's what's so unique about music. music. Music unlocks people in a very unique way. I often have often I often wonder is kind of an exaggeration. I, I've pondered this at times, but hearing you speak, I wonder after a great performance, if you could convince people of something that they otherwise would never be convinced of after an intimate performance. <laughs> yes, because they're unlocked for whether it's whether it's for five minutes, uh -huh. their their brain is inextricably changed mm -hmm. and i wonder if you take that window <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah like look actually let's go back to your thoughts on this do you really feel that way i actually don't um i mean it's not even really a question it's just kind of a it's a ponderance it's just like you know i it's just it's it's lightning in a bottle there's um what my one of my my favorite movie of all time most people have never seen it it's called moonstruck it came out in 86 nicholas cage share about an Italian family in New York. It's perfect. It's perfect. Please watch it. <laughs> you send me a message and you let me know what you think. Okay. Um, I remember my mom watching it and, and she didn't know I was listening and I was a kid and I remember her saying to her, her friends after the movie ended and this is when we rented it in the 80s, she goes, oh my God, that, that, that movie makes me feel frisky. I feel, <laughs> I'm in the mood. And, and I was like, what does that mean? But what that was, was they had tapped into a, an honest, raw human experience of love and passion and, and, you know, being emboldened by things. There's a scene where Nicolas Cage takes Cher to go see Puccini's The Pirates of... Pensons. Uh, and uh, he's like, I know I can't have you. You're betrothed to my brother. If I could just have you for one more night and take you, there's two things I love in this world, the opera and you. And if I could have those two things at, in the same place at the same night, I'm happy forever. <laughs> and you watch the movie starts to kind of 
mirror what's going on on stage. Mm -hmm. But the bigness of the moments that they were able to convey watching the music on stage and seeing Cher become overcome with what's happening. As a young kid, I was like, oh my God, what is this thing called opera? <laughs> uh, my grandfather did opera and he was in Pirates and uh, he did a bunch of other things. And I remember getting dressed up and smelling the opera house and watching him and couldn't figure out why he had so much makeup on his face. And, um, I, don't, I don't know, I'm, I'm kind of like meandering. I don't really have a point. I just, it's such a special thing that you do. Uh, my wife and I have made it a point to commit to each other to take the children, Sam and Layla, out for expensive dinners and get them dressed up and then take them to see theater. Oh, opera, live, live music, yes. to, to impart that thing to them, uh, because there's a little uh, there's there's a little futures there waiting to be blown away by something. What musicals would you love an opportunity to perform in, and 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 where would you love to perform them? Because I feel like the performing spaces is as much of a personality as the art and and the pieces of music itself. Yes, yeah. um, that's uh, that's a very good question because that keeps changing. Right, it's very interesting. We have some of the you know the main venues out there that are highly prestigious. You know, we have the Metropolitan Opera mm -hmm. in New York. Um, we have La Scala, you know, in in Milan. Um, just some of the really grand places. Have the you Opera. performed at them? No, I have okay, not. Okay, okay. These are, you know, the... The Yankee like, stadiums. Yeah, yeah, it's like, oh, you made it. That's right. that's how you know, again, I'm quoting. Uh, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and the, the traditional paths. Um, uh, a bit closer to home, um, I really want to perform uh, um, at the... Four Seasons uh, Center. Oh, yeah, yeah, in Toronto. Uh, in Toronto, yep. at the Canadian Opera Company. I want to perform on the main stage, but I will also have a chance to perform in that space um, actually in October. Awesome. So that's going to be my very first um, concert with my pianist. So, uh, sorry, it, it is at the Four Seasons? Yes. Are there tickets still available? Uh, yes. I'm coming. Oh, wonderful. Okay. Perfect. <laughs> awesome. Taking the wife. Okay. Yeah. Uh, okay. Sorry. Go on. Um, yeah. So uh, these are the, you know, kind of the places, um, well, at least here uh, nearby in Canada. And then there's a bunch in the States. But what I am also starting to consider, um, I'm all for opera. You know, it's something I truly love. That's That goes without saying. But I am really also tapping into um, something that I find more unique and more personal, which is this work I do with a Mexican pianist. Her name is Jolanda Tapia. Is and this the project that you have? Yes. The Obsidian? The Obsidiana Duo, yes. So this project, I consider that my, my baby. I love it. Because opera is really grand and fantastic, but you don't have much of a say in it, in a production. You know, there's just a huge team. Right. You're told where to go and right. how to move. It's a machine. It's a machine, yeah. you know. And that's, that's totally fine. That works too. 
but that's also not enough for me. <laughs> I need I need more. Um, and I need to be able to make decisions and sing the music that means a lot to me personally. I need to tell my own stories. You're awesome, man. That's so great. <laughs> um, I, I just, you know, it's something, again, I started doing, I, I remember really wanting to do more of this music that is kind of a mix. It is in the classical world, but that it's also kind of like... You're straddling two, uh, you two worlds, know? yeah. Uh, so I I remember wanting to do so much of that when I would, was doing my, my master's at Western University. And I really didn't have much of an opportunity to do, because you do, need to do the traditional stuff, the things you're told to do, mm -hmm. you know? Uh, it's just part of the curriculum, yeah. you know, the Learn the yeah. masters. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So um, that was just part of what I was doing at the time. Um, but I really remember wanting to sing in Spanish, sing in Portuguese. Uh, there's something really special about singing in your native tongue right. or tongue, uh, uh, languages that are just closer to, sure. to that. And... Um, And also the this repertoire, this the, these songs, this music, is a lot. It really comes from times of colonization, mm. slavery, and they bring all these traditions from uh, Africans that were brought to to Brazil at the Long. time, right? And were uh, creating like mixing their religion from uh, Catholicism with. Uh, you know um, the the candomblé and all of these African dialects mm. that started to mix with Portuguese and Spanish. There's just such rich right. culture it's there. It's like Sicilian. It's 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 a it's a pig Latin version of Roman Italian. It's exactly. it's its own thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, love it. And and there's this really rich world there uh, that just fires me up. I love like it. I, I, he, I listen to that music. I sing to the, I sing that music and nothing, nothing really connects me to my roots the way that project does. So wow. because I get to also make the decisions, I am starting to tap into some things that are really not the traditional, the expected things for this recital format, this classical music format. I, want, I really want to see the Obsidian Project. Yeah. That's, I'd love to find out some dates on that. Yeah, it's really something that I haven't really seen much of that out there. It's funny. I, uh, you, this connection you have with your language and your culture that shows up in music, which I'm, I think is so cool. I don't... Ha I, I have this visceral love and need for music um but it's it's in food it's in culinary where i have that intrinsic primal connection with my culture um you know i, I don't know what what has more of a response in me you know good music or the smell of good food but like <laughs> let, let's say if i walk into a market and i i i, I smell bacala salted cod <laughs> the olive section and that beautiful funky stench of provolone and, and cured meats. It's like a shark smelling blood in the water. I'm like, Oh my God, there's this, like this, this, I don't know, this like song that comes alive in me. I'm like, Oh my God. Yes. 
It's like my DNA engages. So I have that with, with culinary. It's, it's so funny so how it shows up in different spots, eh? Yes. I, I, we're, we've got 10 minutes, and I'm, 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 I'm so sad we're winding this down because I'm truly enjoying myself. A um, couple more questions. Do stages and spaces have unique personalities into themselves? Do you walk into a place, and does it speak to you? Yes. I love that. Okay. And sometimes it really doesn't. doesn't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, does it also work against you where you get a bad, bad mojo, bad vibe from a space? Get yes. The... We True. are sponges. True. Yeah. yeah. I'm a very, uh, smells, mm-hmm. lighting. My, my poor wife, she's like, you, you and smells, you. And I'm like, I can't help it. Like I experience yeah. my environments in a very real way. Yes. <laughs> and, and so like when I would play gigs at when I'd smell like you know old beer and I'm like oh god what am I doing here that's that's interesting um, I had an artist on a couple of sessions ago and, and he was regaling his days of, of really great mentorship he, you know he's someone who stood on the shoulders of giants and, and he just hit me with quote after quote of things his teachers would say to him that shaped him and I never got to learn under a master. I'm self-taught as a chef. Um, and I, I'm proud of that, but I also wish I could have learned under mm-hmm. major tutelage. But how old are you? Can I ask? I'm 27. Oh, man, you're, you're just, you're crushing it. So you have a lot, of, a lot ahead of you. But do you think um, with what the wellspring of life and experience you have in you, and uh, I, it, it's clear that you are a beautiful person, you have a lot to give. Is there a time and a place down the road for you where you're going to be a mentor? Yes. Awesome. Yes. Okay. It's going to happen. You I, just know? I know. I know. And it has to be the right place, the yep. right time, the yep. right um, student. Um, I I think also because of how I, the, the standards I put for myself, mm-hmm. um, I don't accept um, mediocre or mm-hmm. excellence. Yeah, yeah, it's like even just trying hard. It's like, well, uh, <laughs> there's only so much you can, you know, try hard, and then I'm like, well, maybe, <laughs> you know. So I cannot really teach. Um, <laughs> uh, I I just don't feel like that person who will have the the. You don't suffer fools patience. or laziness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. Uh, you know I'm like well whoever wants to learn from me someday. Yep. Um, I'll be happy to share because that's really the only uh, reason to continue doing this is so it can yep. right yep. the things I learned I would love to pass that you know forward absolutely but it has to be someone who oh. values and understands how oh, refreshing deep 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 down yeah most people worth their salt want a, a master to learn under yeah amazing yeah i got to honor your timeline um it's eight we're getting we're getting down to it uh i know people are going to want to hear you sing uh off the heels of this interview um where do we find your socials and, and all things relevant to your, the Obsidian project, to past performances, social media? Where do we find you? Yeah, so I am um, mainly on Instagram, uh, just as Camilla.Montefusco. Um, pretty easy to find. Also, my duo has um, a page as well. 
which is the just Obsidian Aduo. Um, I have a website where I also have quite a bit of my past performances, and I also usually just uh, update my schedule, which is where people can also learn where I will be okay. and you know date and and tickets and and all of that. Okay. So that should be pretty straightforward. And I'm in Toronto, and <laughs> so, so that's home base is Toronto. That's okay. right. And so where is your next uh, performance? around the GTA like what's next yeah and GTA will be the one at in the COC in, in October okay. um, I am before then I'm heading to Newfoundland for uh, for, for the first time I'm very excited awesome. for a contract there uh, it's a new premiere also just new music a super exciting project um, and once you know I'm back in Toronto then I'm also focusing on this project with my pianist. Amazing. He just came back from Banff, you know, after spending um, three really intense and fantastic weeks just preparing this program we will be bringing to Toronto. Okay. So, Sidebar, will you let me cook for you and uh, you and your husband one day? Oh, yes. Okay. Right. <laughs> I'm excited I'm going to start that. doing some supper clubs that are going to be invite only. Oh, wow. And uh, we need to get you there. Uh, Camila, thank you so much. That was, uh, I could sit and talk to you for a very long time. And you know what? I'm going to find excuses to do more of that. Uh, this is why I love the podcast. I didn't know you an hour and a half ago. Now we're friends. Oh. Um, thank you for your calm demeanor and your passion and what you do and for carrying this lovely tradition and this discipline further down the road for another generation. I'm uh, very excited to see what your future holds. I've had only 27. You're, you're crushing it. And um, I can't wait to see you perform in October. Thank you so much. Yeah, Thank my, you for having me. Absolutely. And um, pleasure. if you'll come back again, I'll find another excuse to have you on. I think there's, I think we only scratched the surface. I think there's so much more to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> Part two. <laughs> yeah. So everyone, everyone listening, thank you so much for being with us. Uh, episode 67 is now in the books and uh, we will see you on the other side and go listen to some opera because it was there before Elvis Presley and the Beatles. It's good. Thank you, guys. I'll see you on the other side. Ciao.